A little over a year after her funeral, on a cold January night, I was sitting on my L-shaped couch in my apartment in Geneva, journaling, when I heard a familiar yet unexpected voice. It whispered to me a new idea, fully formed, to write the story of my mother. I contemplated the four walls of my living room as if in search of the source of inspiration that had fluttered my way with such ease. With the experience of trusting in the guidance of my inner voice, I quietened to listen. My writing frantic, almost afraid to lose inspiration of the moment, I captured disjointed words and fleeting details of what would become the first outlines of this book. Welcome to the first episode of 2022. This is Sasha Shell, and you're listening to Dear Seekers. What you just heard was Chidiego Akanini Par reading one of the passages from her book, I Am Because We Are, an African mother's fight for the soul of a nation. So how I came across Chidiego was actually a quite interesting story. One day I was scrolling on Instagram and um, one of her videos actually popped up on my feed. Isn't that a blessing and curse of social media? Well, in this case, it's just blessing. And um, I remember she was sitting on a couch or something or, or chair. She was holding one of um physical copy of her book that was about to be published. And then you just heard this little whine, little very gentle whine in the background. And then she reached out, leaned over and, you know, brought this little infant to the frame of the video. And it was her daughter and her daughter was so tiny. It was almost the same size of the book. So it was so warming and genuine. For some reason, I felt this strong urge to reach out to Chidiego to connect, to tell her story. And so that's what I did. I slide a message in her DM and here we are. Um, that's how we got connected. I didn't know her mother, Dora Akanini, actually played a huge, significant role in Nigerian history. And her mother is actually, this is all this book is about, um, part memoir, part autobiography about her mother. Too. So, so to understand this book, I will have to do some homework. And it was through reading and my research, I got to understand how her mother fighting for the nation in a man's world and how she was seen as the mother of the nation. So with such a weight on her shoulders to tell this story, to tell it right, it was not only her mother, it was the nation's mother. Chidiego decided to speak the truth. She was telling the story with the duty of care. Yes, this is a story about her mother, but this is also a story about childhood, adulthood, motherhood, womanhood, sisterhood, wifehood. And that's precisely her point. You may seem like a story from so far away physically and timely, but it's ultimately a story about humanity. We chatted about Chidiego's experience on writing this book. 
We talk about language and how each language we speak evokes some sort of,、um, you know, different parts of our personalities and memories. We talk about motherhood and healing and how these two intersect. And this is one of those interviews. I just wish I was the one in the audience listening in, instead of being the one asking questions. Chidiego is so wise, and her voice is like water, so soothing. Hope you you enjoy this as much as I did. And before we diving in this conversation, I just really hope you can do me a favor by heading to Apple Podcasts or Spotify to leave us a review or comment. Because you know that's how the algorithm works. The more people engage and share, the more people will find it. I just really hope these conversations will be able to reach the people who need to hear them. So thank you so much and enjoy.、Um, oh my god! I just finished this book this morning because you know it's a lot to take in,、um, and I'm so grateful that I finished this morning because every. Feelings I have, all the emotions, all the my thoughts, and everything is still really present. It's still really fresh at this point. So it's definitely a very interesting experience、mm-hmm. for me as an interviewer because usually I will I will finish quite、mm-hmm. early on and then I will write down all my questions and then later I will visit again. And sometimes they just become more rational、mm-hmm. because you know I have my questions and stuff. But today I have a lot of emotion as well because the last chapter was something I didn't. Anticipate that you、um, mm-hmm. add it in. I would say about your father's the chapter about your mm-hmm. father. Mm-hmm.、Um, mm-hmm. Wow, that was、uh, quite a lot、mm-hmm. to take in. <laughs> But、um, first of all, I just want to say thank、mm-hmm. you to writing this book. This、uh, I can't even imagine how much time, effort, and soul you have put into this book.、Um, so I. Do have a lot of questions for you. I hope that I will be able to cover most of them because I don't think I can cover everything, but I will try. So,、um, if you don't mind, Chidiego, you can introduce yourself a little bit and kind of summarize a way that your journey, your story, who you are, and to the people who don't really know about you. That would be great. Mm, absolutely! Thank you so much, Sasha. I'm happy that we're here, and I'm happy that you're fresh. And also,、uh, yeah, it's true that there's no warning at the end of the book. So I hope that was not too triggering.、Um, but yes, my name is Chidiogo.、Um, Chidiogo Akunlepa. I love the title of this、um, podcast because, in many ways, I consider myself a seeker, and that word carries such a so much、um, to it. On my journey, I didn't fully know that I was seeking until the last decade of my life, really. But I was always seeking, moving from one place to the other in my adult years, seeking parts of myself. I think that's the best way to put it. And,、um, but you know, who am I? Born and raised in Nigeria,、uh, living in Toronto. In between, have lived everywhere from. Beijing to Berlin to Paris to、uh, Cameroon、uh, to Yaoundé everywhere. As I said, seeking and you know, I always moved with the pretense of work or studies or you know something of that nature. 
and was in corporate consultant, uh, World Economic Forum, working as a community lead for the Global Shapers. I've just won so many hats. And now I feel I have come into my my body, my skin. And it is as a coach, as a founder of She Roar, supporting women to connect to their, their, their intuition, the power of their intuition. It is as a writer, author of I Am Because We Are. Um, it is as someone who loves to connect with people, build community. And so it goes. It's a journey. I feel like my next chapter might become a farmer or oh that sounds a, fascinating well you are already an artist i have to say <laughs> and your form is like writing right mm, writing. um mm. and also connecting to other people through writing uh, i mean before we want to dive into the book i kind of just curious about how did you end up from nigeria to toronto because you did mention that in the book and um you know, you you have been well traveled, travel well lived around the globe. So, why are you calling Toronto home? What brought you here? Um, my journey to Toronto is full woo. You know, hundred <laughs> percent. Toronto called to me. It's really the only way I can say it. I was living in Geneva, was called to a festival. Never really been to festivals. And it ended up being Burning Man, which is huge and really didn't know what I was getting myself into mm -hmm. at all until I stepped into the gates. That's how much I was just like, okay, something is calling me to this place and just trust in that, but really not having any time to go deeper than, um, okay, there's something going on and I'm meant to be there. Ended up meeting my partner, now husband, father of our, our daughter there, and he is Canadian. He was living in San Francisco in that point. Um, when we came to visit Canada, meet his family, we fell in love with the corner of Toronto, the beaches. And water has been my home for the last years. I found myself by water. And in many ways, when I was leaving Geneva, I was mourning leaving the water. But Toronto with the water surrounded by so much water in Canada, just the home of so many great lakes really felt um, like my if for the first time I found home away from the home I was born into. And I mentioned earlier that I'd been seeking and, you know, I think everywhere I was traveling all these years and living, I kept looking around and trying to find myself at home in those places. And I never did, maybe until Geneva, but not really. It was just the water and the nature. So I took that as part of my story that I need to be by nature. I need to be by water. And Toronto has offered pieces of that for me. And uh, our home is by this massive oak tree and the water is close and the people, the community are rich and beautiful. So that's that calls me. And, and I have made a, a very deep um, practice of listening to what calls to me. And this was a clear one. And I said, yes, and here I am. Oh, I think... We have in all the its glory. We have to thank Andrew for it, your husband. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm glad you mentioned about um, your connect, your connection, and your closeness to nature. Because in your book, you talk about you know growing up, seeing your mother being so religious. She loved God, right? And uh, but for you, you also talk about. God feels more like feminine, feels like she is an inner voice found in, 
you wrote are found as well in the guidance of nature, in voices, and all a, a space in between.、Mm. So, how did you grow this intuition or this, you know, closeness to nature? Because growing up, you were seeing your mother being so religious,、mm-hmm. so connected to God in the religious sense, right?、Mm-hmm. And how was your spirituality shaped by that?、Mm-hmm. Her closeness to God, and how did you discover your own、um, path or connection to spirituality? Such a beautiful question. Growing up, you know, going to church was the thing that. Didn't like doing. I think very few children really love going to church, right? It's the oh, I gotta wake up early, dress up, go in、mm-hmm. the heat. So I, you know, and then cactusism and you know those、uh, whole block rosary. We did all of that and prayers every day and novenas. So I really grew up in that setting, and I just found it tedious. So my Religion was a tedious, but you know I fully believed it and、uh, feared it. Fear I feared God, as as a good Catholic girl.、Um, no judgment there.、Um, just what you're taught to fear God and be good and go to confession. And when I went to college, I remember I would always struggle with when I missed mass and like I'm going to go to hell. And you know that's where I came from. You know, just if you don't go to church、yeah. on Sunday, you will go to hell. That's a teaching I've been you know spoken at、uh, with those words.、Um, and I think it was when I moved to Beijing where it just became. It was not a lot of Catholic churches. The few I found was just not as accessible because of the language barriers than the English. So at some point, my moves made it harder and harder to connect to a Catholic church. And at some point, I was like, "God understands that I've tried." It's just, <laughs> and that's just the beginning of the journey.、Um, I would say it was when I moved back to Nigeria after my masters. That I think my mind a portal opened. I met people who were not Christian and Nigerian for the first time because all of Nigeria the Muslim or Christian, sorry, not religious in the traditional way, but they were they were connected to traditional religious practices, and、uh, most Nigerians fear that, even though it's where we come from. There's this fear around, you know, it's black magic, which is very a very different practice, but everything is sort of lumped into that. Um, so it just started, made me sort of wonder about you know the goodness of these people and where what what they were connecting to. But that was just sort of like a curiosity for the first time. I didn't dismiss something that I didn't understand.、Um, and then I moved to Geneva, and I, the Geneva was quiet, and it was really what shaped my spirituality was quiet. It was nothing to do, no parties, no big dinners, no nothing. It's a quiet, quiet town with tons of nature, and I think that space of just being by myself. I decided not to get a TV when I moved there,、um, which I remember that was odd because it's so quiet. So you need a TV, but I thought no, there's something calling to me, and that practice of just coming home and have nothing to do, no distractions, just being with my quiet. I started journaling. It's a practice I've now held for almost a decade,、uh, where I write morning pages, wake up, write, write wrote in the evenings as well, and that's when I start hearing my inner guidance, my inner voice, and that led me to 
um, some plant medicines that also allowed me to go deeper. Um, I went to, I did a retreat in Peru that was just so beautiful in how it invited me into a new chapter that in that point, I literally was sharing vocally how I was not going to open myself to because I've worked so hard to establish myself as a professional on my career path. And this path was calling me into something different. And I literally was like, no, no, I'm not giving up everything I've worked for. No. And I had this guy just like urging me to trust that the fear I was feeling was standing between me and myself. And the story goes, so I would really say the anchors are the guides, the silence, the spaces to go listen and listening and to follow that guidance of my intuition that was given space to come through, starting to recognize that each time I paid attention, I listened, I followed through, something magical opened up. Mm. And and that's a journey right in this book. It was a guidance that came through and I at that point I could recognize it around me. Mm-hmm. When, when was the most recent time that you didn't, listen to your intuition or you kind of she wasn't very she was quiet too quiet for you to listen to and then afterwards you look back in hindsight and then you realize oh she was trying to tell me something was there a recent time you remember one of those incidents that's such I love that question because I'm like so proud of myself I'm like no I always listen (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, um, but I would say recently it had a lapse. So what I'm really good at when I can't hear, I seek out people to hold space for me. Mm. So like sometimes I have something that I feel, but I can't, I can't touch it. And I'm like struggling. I tend to find like I have some people I do exchange coach with or people who are just like can hold really powerful space. So I tend to do that. Every other month when I'm stuck, and recently I was feeling stuck around, I was feeling something around where we were, the winter, my body, the healing that I'm needing after birthing five months ago, but I couldn't fully like commit to it. I had a beautiful coaching session and literally often as a reminder of things, you know, in this case, you know, let the road lead you. I was so afraid of stepping into the unknown, which is the big thing that Mm -hmm. I trust. But in this case, I forgot. And I wanted to know where I was going to go because I have a baby and I need to know. And I was reminded to trust the road, trust the first message is that I'm not meant to be here right now. There's something calling to me, but I don't know where and I need to know. But no, you don't need to know. Just trust the first step of start organizing things. And lo and behold, I started just getting the home ready to rent, etc. And the path opened up. Hmm. You really appear to be somebody who is almost close to perfect, <laughs> even though I know nobody is. But at the same time, you really appear to be someone so aligned to your spiritual self. Um, and then, so hmm. I'm just wondering, was there like a catalyst or a pivotal moment or some sort of uh, event or continue of a microaggression that led you to hmm. be who you are today? Um, kind of like a pivotal moment to make you want to prompt you to be wanted to be closer hmm. to yourself, to seek out this person. Um, within you because mm. I don't think anybody would grow up as a seeker that's mm. I, I do not resonate at all I would so first of all I don't resonate with being 
close to perfect at all. So if I if maybe it makes me more relatable, I struggle a ton with being worthy, being good enough. My whole life healing is around that. And I'm very aware of it. So always working on that, reminding myself, be it body, be it uh, my mind, what I have to say, how I'm showing up, just always healing that part of me that feels always a little like um, insecure. Uh, so what was the pivotal moment? I think my whole life, you know, I, I, I it's tricky to talk about a difficult upbringing because what does that mean? But I, I struggled as a child. Um, I struggled with um, a father who I don't think knew the limit of his strength, I think that's how I put it in the book. Um, you know, it's a Nigerian way sometimes, but it, I felt like it was sometimes exaggerated. And that was not, it didn't suit me, just like physically being like punished does not. It's just was a violation of my person. Um, and then really his way of raising us was to, you know, if you you, you, can, you you can do better by, by shaming you to do better, you know, like this is not good enough. Like this person is better. You can do better. This person, why are they better? What's, you know, sort of like a little bit of that way of. So I think my whole life I was pig, um, pit, like a sort of pushed to be better, be better and to see the ways I wasn't good enough and punished when I wasn't good enough. So that has been a huge part of my um, on learning, I'll say my pivot has been first to heal. I just noticed I was carrying so much anger and pain and would keep surfacing around my just my childhood and being going away from home and not having had things the way I would have desired and and healing that part of me that was just angry with my father and healing that part of me that felt like he had wronged me and I would have been a different person. I was this person. I wasn't a good person because I was angry. And so there was just a lot I was carrying. So I think the journey first was me forgiving and then becoming a little gentler with myself because I was so judgmental of myself and all the ways I wasn't perfect. And um, with that journey, I... I've been guided a lot. I'm trying, I want to be really honest. Let me just take a moment with this question. I know my pivotal moment. Yes. The pivotal moment, I was on a plane. I had a breakdown. Uh, 2009, I was living in Beijing. And I had broken up with my five-year-long relationship. I got fired from a job. I didn't know what I was doing anymore. I was just lost. And I overnight from one day to the other got a ticket to East Africa. I needed somewhere warm. It was like February or so. And I arrived in Nairobi. And the whole reason I ended up in Nairobi was guidance. On the flight over, there was this gentleman from Sudan, tall man. And he happened to have a, the alchemist with him, happened to have a tall, dark, dark man. So he really stood out like, you know, just this <laughs> majestic human. I mean, I don't know if you know how dark Sudanese are. It's just this like, you don't meet people like that every day. He's like, oh, I have a copy of this book. You're on a journey. And he hands me over a copy of The Alchemist. And we were flying, I guess, from Dubai to Nairobi in Kenya. So I read it on the flight and I arrive in Nairobi and I had two months in front of me, no plans. I didn't even have a hostel in Nairobi. And all throughout that journey, having no plans, 
I could be guided. And if you haven't read The Alchemist, the whole world round around omens, watch for signs, watch for guidance. So I sort of say playing with it. And because I didn't have my regular plan, 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 because <laughs> I'm type A and I'm pushing myself. So everything is just perfectly planned out. I had nothing planned because I was so lost and just down and needed to get away quickly. And um, the rest of the trip was just this mind-blowing revelation that there was guidance. Like I would literally think something, someone would show up, oh, I'm going somewhere, I have a car, you want to come? And did. so it went for week after week. And I, I wasn't Chidioga Kunile, I was nobody. So I could also shed that part of me that had been carrying my name and my identity and who I'm meant to be all throughout school and college. I went to the same college as my sister. So it was always that. And I was nobody. I could be any part of me. Could The parts of me that had been sort of suppressed, they're coming up because I was a backpacker in East Africa, going from Kenya to Tanzania to Rwanda, just sort of going around finding myself and my intuition. And that changed everything. Because after that trip, I was like, whoa, there's something that guides yeah. us. You know, it's just like, whoa. Like, you know, and that was when I started paying attention. And uh, that was, I guess, over 10 years ago. And it's consistent. Mm -hmm. And at this point in my life, a fact of life. So that's that changed things for me, that trip. And that man, I felt, was just like a huge guide that did not even know it or maybe knew it. Um, and he just showed up in that flight and that day when I needed a little bit of guidance. And he had the book that I needed. So, okay, now I want to go back to the book. Um, if you can summarize the book for us, um, kind of tell what this, is, this book is about <laughs> in your own words, that would be great. Mm, what is this book about? Um, you know, you, the title I Am Because We Are is um, one of the ways that um, Ubuntu has been translated as the sense of the I and the we in community, like you say, Sasha. So the book is my mother's story, Dora Kunile. She was very well re regarded um, in Nigeria and the, in the subcontinent because of the work she was doing in government as the head of the Food and Drug Regulatory Agency called NAFDAG. And Nigeria had about 80% fake food, fake drugs, expired baby milk, powder instead of baby formula, uh, fake antibiotics, you know, sorry if you hear that's my daughter screaming in the background. That's okay. It's actually not very noticeable. Yeah. Okay. And she came in and, you know, would not take bribes, would not take no for an answer, you know, really driven by this full cog cognition of the value of human life that was being lost every day due to just you know, just the greed of people selling these things that were meant wow. to care for people's health, but actually was doing the opposite. And also driven by the experience of having lost her own sister, Wogo, 
um, to um, fake insulin uh, at a young age, and she and Wargo were extremely close. So at the core, this is her story because stories matter. And her story, you know, she lived such a powerful life and she touched millions, but then she's gone. And, you know, you realize that, you know, the, I, the people I interviewed for this story of the tens of people, six have passed since I did this interviews. So, you know, stories die off and, you know, who we are, how we understand each other makes sense. Go deeper in that we and our power within it and finding ourselves in each other mm -hmm. is powered by stories. We have tons of stories from the West and many of them we know as I, as Africans, but our stories, which of our stories do we know to power our own path because we can recognize ourselves the same way that other, we can recognize ourselves in these stories from outside and vice versa. So the richness of stories is important for humanity and I felt like her story was an important one to tell, not just in that phase of her life, because when I stayed digging, it's a bigger story. Mm. Yeah, I also find the structure of the book is quite interesting because the first portion, the majority of the, the book is written in first person, telling stories of your mother through her um, lens in a way. And towards the very last portion, a very small portion of the book is written in first person through you. So now it's telling a story about your relationship with your mother. So it's almost like, you know, the first portion is about how she's becoming this hero of the nation. Um, but then at the end, she is still a human being and you show some, you know, complexity of her as a person, as a mother to six and also as someone still has her flaws and imperfections as well. So I'm just wondering, how did you come up with the structure? Mm, it was a journey that from the beginning, the book wanted to be told in her voice. Um, if whatever that means for it's, I believe the books have a, you know, what the book wants to be is, uh, I believe is also part of the journey of writing it and honoring what it wants to be. And just knowing that my job was to shape it, but I didn't trust that initially. Cause I just, I don't sound like my mother. Um, um, so I actually wrote it first in the third person, but there was a distance between the her and the reader and it was a, a friend that actually like anchored it for me it's like you're not even born and you're talking about her <laughs> like you know how you know, it's like we and I just and I thought you know what I've been struggling with this thing that's been clear to me from but I was so scared because I didn't want to try to sound like her, but the beauty was I had really written the whole skeleton of the book as me. So I really just had to go back and change it to her. And I love that I did that because what I've what I've done is not put any barriers between her story and the reader. She is telling you her story and it feels truer to her personality. It's not someone telling you about her, it's her. And I think, you know, I just feel privileged that I, as her daughter, um, I, I, I felt I could access that voice in a way that I trust that the book, you can connect to her beyond me, which was really what that uh, choice was 
uh, was hoping and trying to do. Um, so when I did make that change, and I, and I was like, there it is. You know, when I, something was off and I always, something else stuck, in this case, practically, I always seek out guides, like a good friend, a trusted writer. I can't pinpoint it, but something is wrong. And then he saw it and I saw it very clearly. And I realized I've been denying what I already knew as a guidance that came from the beginnings right in her voice. So once I stepped into that, there was no going back. I was like, that's what this book wants to be. This is how it wants to be shared. Yeah, it's really incredibly interesting because the two people that first is through your mom's first person and second through you, they don't seem like from the same writer at all. Um, so yeah, that's really, really interesting. Do you have um, happen to have a copy in hand that you can actually read a passage for us? Yes, I could. I could do that. Hold on. Um, hoping to get to page 365. Okay. So a little over a year after her funeral, on a cold January night, I was sitting on my L-shaped couch in my apartment in Geneva, journaling, when I heard a familiar yet unexpected voice. It whispered to me a new idea, fully formed, to write the story of my mother. I contemplated the four walls of my living room, as if in search of the source of inspiration that had fluttered my way with such ease. With the experience of trusting in the guidance of my inner voice, I quietened to listen. My writing frantic, almost afraid to lose inspiration of the moment, I captured disjointed words and fleeting details of what would become the first outlines of this book. I went to bed that night with a lightness in my heart at the guidance and an acceptance of the task, accompanied by a heaviness at the amount of work that lay ahead. I spent weeks agonizing about everything, as relates to writing my mother's story. Where I was to find the time, what would be the voice of the book, the tone of the story, the purpose of writing. Each step was met with fear and insecurities. The journey was to be an exercise in trust in myself and in the guidance of intuition. A few months later, days away from my last day at work, having made the decision to focus my energy for the foreseeable future on writing her story, and following a desire to find more freedom for myself. I was seated in quiet meditation by the lake shore of Geneva, soaking up the June sun. Behind the hooded semi-darkness of my closed lids, I felt my mother's presence. It was the same whisper of January. I was surprised by how quickly she filled my consciousness. Her voice within me sounded like mine, but I felt and experienced it as hers. I quietened any lingering disbelief within myself to tune into what I was hearing. Mommy, Kedul, how are you? She was well. I could feel this, and I felt so much joy to know this. I asked about the book, requesting that she guide me. Right in my voice was the first answer, leading me to wonder how I could possibly capture a voice that was so different from mine, spoken and written. She added, speak with all voices. The word healing came up as a repeated whisper. The book is about healing. She didn't elaborate. Her silence suggested I knew what she meant without fully comprehending it. I opened my eyes and allowed my tears to fall. Oh, oh my God. That was so beautiful. 
especially listening mm-hmm. to you narrate it. It's just a different experience than when I was reading it. Um, more profound. And so thank you for that. Um, yeah, as you already mentioned about this book is about healing. And when your mother's voice, you channeling that um, narrative, that story through your silence, through silence, you almost, you know, would be able to tell the story. So, and then almost through telling the stories, you could in a way heal. And the healing was part of the essence of the the process. But I didn't understand what healing really meant at that moment, right? Mm-hmm. Was it healing for yourself or for your mom mm-hmm. or for the nation or for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. So do you have a better understanding now after, you know, the book has been published in other people's hands and you mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. have to, you almost had to exit in this way, but also enter something new and different. So yeah, just wonder what's your experience now with this book, with this process of healing? You know, I, I a, lot, a part of me, a huge part of me wanted to understand what she meant so that I could, you know, heal and allow this book to heal and be a healing tool or heal myself. And I my deepest understanding now, and this has been an evolution, has been that writing it and putting it out in the world, you know, just going back to my belief and trust and butterfly effect, the healing is beyond my knowing, right? Because I don't know how it would reach and touch and who and where, but I know that it will because it's most certainly done that for me. And it's done that for my family. It's done that for me and my dad who read it. Like, you know, and it was really important to me because when you're talking about such personal things, I didn't want him to feel blindsided in any ways. And to feel his, you know, just sort of receive his feedback. There was so much love there. And that allowed me to heal that part of me that was so scared. I did something wrong and he'll be angry. And, you know, that was, that was deep in ways that might not be easy to explain in this uh, in this space. Um, healing for a country that lost the beloved, a beloved um, mother, friend, sister, f- for the stories that have not been told. So there's layers. So my, my understanding now is there's a trust in this, the journey of this book, and it's only just beginning that, you know, the, the, before the birth is healing and then the birth itself is healing. And now, you know, this child that, you know, the, using this metaphor of birth and life, you know, gets to grow up and become and do and shape so much. So, um, I trust that that's the healing essence that is infused in this book, so to say. Mm-hmm. And while writing, while writing this book, what was the most difficult part to write? Because you, as we mentioned, you had to speak with so many of your families and relatives, friends, to get the details of her story, um, and then you kind of shape them all into a piece. So, mm-hmm. which part was the most difficult for you to, let's say, rediscover or discover, or had to confront or embrace? The things that seem so obvious, the flow of the book was hard and it had different lives. 
But to your question of like, what was really hard? You know, when I stay writing the book, the first thing each my siblings are, you're going to talk about everything. You're going to talk about that. (laughs) And, you know, I was like, how do I write that story if I don't? And it was sort of this like, are you sure? And it was just this back and forth, like, would she have wanted you to say that? And I kept checking and checking, like, mommy, are you you sure? Is this okay? It was literally, and I'll be like, I know, I, I didn't want to take on that role of mommy says it's okay, because, you know, it's very easy, like, come on, like, mommy didn't tell you anything. <laughs> you know, she's gone. So I was very conscious of never <laughs> claiming that role, just kind of going and trusting. So what helped me was, and here I'm speaking to sensitive parts of the book, right, was a writer friend told me, just write everything. You can always remove, but don't start sensory with censorship. And that gave me a lot of permission to Mm. right because in the beginning it was just like i maybe i shouldn't maybe i should honor what she wouldn't have done in life because there's shame and there's protection of reputation and why would i do that and i just said i'm gonna write it all and then trust that if it's not meant to be there i can always i'll see it and i'll feel it and i can remove it and you know that you know i had so much pushback and that's why i said when i gave it to my father to read and he didn't push back for parts that just felt like intimate family part stories. That gave me a lot of confidence or like mm-hmm. healing around. It's okay. It was okay. And I'll share something else, a friend shared, a writer friend, whoever needed to, needs to hear this. Uh, even if you were to remove something you wrote, there's research, he said, and this is a, not at all a woo person, that there's research that shows that readers still feel things that authors remove Mm. and he was like something that they've researched and they show again that someone would write a whole chapter about like something that that eventually doesn't make it but people still feel it and they'll interview the readers later and they're talking about these things and how they felt it so there's like a phantom lines that we still soak in almost like a like the limbs that are no more but you can still feel Mm. right and given how writing is such a intimate share and uh you know um so i i think there's something about that so i try to put it all out try to censor as little as possible if anything just things that just felt like affected other people that were still alive that don't want any lawsuits you know don't want any you know (laughs) that's not the energy of this book exactly um but otherwise it's all there so it was difficult to honor the the difficult parts of uh the story that felt like I could be opening up a can of worms that maybe I didn't have a right to and ultimately realizing that it was all part of that invitation Mm. to heal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think being a writer to write, especially a memoir, um, having that that storyteller integrity to tell story from its true, its core, but also as you telling a story that it could be intimate to yourself and someone else. It's also a very thin line, a very, very hard dance to balance, right? Because, yeah, it is how to tell a story with integrity, but at the same time, have this duty of care spread out as well. Mm, I love that duty of care. That's perfectly put. That's 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 it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so 
now I think I really wanted to ask you about is、um, still stay with the book about the structure because in each chapter you stay with one quote. There's, there's so many different beautiful quotes. For example, tomorrow is pregnant. No one knows what you will give birth to. <laughs> I think it's funny that you have been really embracing this like giving birth <laughs> analogy. <laughs> And then, yeah, which I love as well. And then another one is: if you think you are too small to make a difference, you haven't spent a night with. <laughs> that made me laugh so so hard because I was like, "Yeah, that cannot cannot be more true." So, why did you decide to start each chapter with a related quote?、Mm. Or, you know, and where did these quotes? Yeah, I, I, I keep regretting that I didn't. On a sort of like sharing where the quotes came from because they're not mine and、uh, they're different African proverbs. So one is of African diaspora, and I honor proverbs. I my my father loved proverbs, and my culture is Igbo of South Southeast Nigeria, and we are culture an ethnic group that you know. Chinua Chebe, our the famous writer, talks about how proverbs is the palm palm oil that we that words are eating with. You know, it's a beautiful way of expression because it captures so much in just a little bit. And you know, when you listen to people that speak beautiful Igbo, every other sentence is a proverb. That's basically how the essence of the language is. So I grew up with a father that mastered proverbs and always wrote down proverbs. And and I I I love I love this part of our culture. The world knows so little of it. And so I, I, I've always a part of me. I always thought that maybe I'll help my father write a book of proverbs because all his life is kept like he has journals and journals full of proverbs. Um. So when I started writing this book, it was almost the most natural thing. How do I capture proverbs? So she's like, "Well, I'll put, I'll pepper it all throughout the book." But it's like, no, I feel like there's more. Um. So when it came to me at some point, I was just a very natural progression of a deep love that I have. And in this case, I went bigger. I thought this is not just an Igbo story. This is not just a Nigerian story. This is not an African story. It's um. So I I I I I sought out proverbs from across the continent, and so each chapter starts with an African proverb. Oh wow, that's so beautiful! Yeah, I'm so glad you included them because some of them are just really funny and then relatable. Some of them make you really think quite a lot. Sit. Really long with before you even started <laughs> reading the chapter, <laughs> so yeah, I really love them.、Um, so one thing I I like to get into is language because you I didn't know this about you. You could speak seven languages, including Mandarin, which is actually my first language. And then in one of the videos on your Instagram, you actually talk about how language each language has its own personality. And then so for someone who can speak more than one language. When you switch from one language to the other, you kind of switch a personality in a way. You brought some nuance or differences in、mm-hmm. you out with that language. That gave me goosebumps because that's so resonating. Because I could speak Cantonese, Mandarin, and English, and then one dialect in、uh, in China, and、mm-hmm. I could I never could pinpoint. I feel like. Every time I hang out with my friends who speak Chinese or Mandarin, particularly. A different type of personality just merged, and I didn't understand why was that. It almost felt like I was, I was faking it, or I was confronted with my authenticity because 
you know, there's so many different layers of me that kind of just fighting to be <laughs> the real me. And so what can you share a little bit, kind of expand a little bit here? I love languages and I, I think they're, I see language as a mirror, as a window into people and people shape us. So to your words and something I resonate with is what you're saying is that the moment you learn that language, the personality that's coming out is the personality of that era that was shaped the people. That's really how you see the Ubuntu in us. Like that person coming out is the, the she is a product of all those years of you know learning and hearing and the people that spoke Mandarin to her, Cantonese, uh, you know, English. So my German side was I was surrounded by artists and creatives and I was I was in this place. I was still young. I was 22 when I moved to Germany. And so my Germans is just like, there's just joy when I speak German because I connect with a period in my life that I was just filled with so much. The life, the possibilities were endless. I was just starting life and meeting these people that were showing me that there were different ways to live. And they weren't going to work every day. Like, you know, they were creating, they were, um, you know, they were like exploring life. So that's my German personality is very much infused mm. with that. So I love when I can speak German because I can access that part of me. Uh, my Chinese self is like a cute girl. Like I was like at the loveliest friends, mostly girls. I would always giggle and laugh and cook and talk and like talk about boys and you know just that's my Chinese personality is a little yeah. more like I like cute girl because that was the, the people that shaped me right. and the way I use the language because you know I'm just playing and learning and so that's a lot of the people and the language in itself it's how it met me um and so it goes so I think it's something about the mm. people um, this way you learned it, you know, my French is a little more rigid. I learned it in school. Then I was in a uh, study abroad in the university. So my French is proper. I was, you know, it's about like exposés and presentations. So my French, I tend to be less like willing to make mistakes as I am with other languages because I learned it on the streets with people, with friends. Um, So I think that's what I see on my, even within English, I can switch accents. And when I switch to my Nigerian accent, I'm a different person. So it's even right. There's accents. Oh, yeah. are, we don't think of it as a language, but I see that it's a nuance, almost like a dialect. That's how they form over time. These different accents will form into something else. And um, so, yeah, when I speak in Nigerian English, I'm a different person. My husband says I'm hilarious. Um, just like, <laughs> chatty and like funny and you know it's because that's what shaped me was high school it was like ch chatting with you know three thousand girls boarding school not a care in the world just finding ourselves that's my nigerian accent which is different from my Igbo accent which is a little girl growing up it's what i speak with my family so it's it's like there are parts where you have many parts of who we are and isn't even if you spoke just one language so language is a beautiful thing that can almost let you access these parts of you because it's coded within the language
So you wrote in the beginning of the book that a friend of yours actually suggested you wouldn't be able to tell your mother's story until you become a mother yourself, and you say she was just half right because it actually took you lost a pregnancy to understand your relationship with your mother.、Um, so I just wonder. How has been? How has losing a pregnancy and now becoming a mother really shaped your relationship with your own mother?、Hmm. I'll start by saying, you know, it was really hard going through. You know, I was pregnant, found out the baby could wasn't gonna keep, and I had, I stayed pregnant for two months, almost two months after, because to various reasons. So that was really hard, and I think that took a lot from me. And I felt grief, like I I didn't know I could feel, and that also led me to heal the part of me that did not like to feel pain, based on having just sort of built up walls in myself、um, to escape pain.、Um, just giving into one of some things I said about difficulties in earlier years. So that was a huge healing to realize that I had to face my pain, and it was important to move through it and not just sort of lock it away. And I start the book talking about that with my mom around how was she able to face her pains because she not only had her losses but she also went through some huge difficulties and it's a very different era. They, you know, there's no there's not that there's no therapy in the world, but really in the context that she was in, that was not something accessible to her, and she. Had a life that would have been good to have support. So I wondered about her pain, and that really allowed me to go into her story with the the energy I wanted to of just it's just bigger than life, woman. But who was she as a person? What did she feel? What did she heal? What didn't she heal?、Um, And now, as a mother of one, she was a mother of six. First of all, there's an awe of that, and that you know her mother before her, and was, you know my grandmother and my paternal grandmother had their fourteen kids, lost about four in young years, and it's just they went through so much. These、uh, these women, quote unquote, and I have one. I'm like, whoa. Yeah, it's like so. You know, the big difference between the book and having a child is, you know, the book is done. I'm done. I'm like, <laughs> it's out there. You know, go forth and prosper. She's just starting. The journey's just starting. I'm excited, but it's you know, there's a, it's yeah, yeah. I'm really honored to be her mom and to be here to teach her. It's almost like the other way around, right? The book you work on it, put it on, is done, and she like. It's just starting. The pregnancy is just the seeds, you know. This is the writing, so to say. And I'm just、uh, okay. I, you get it.、Um, and I also feel a lot of healing from her because you know whatever I didn't get from my mom because she was busy and wasn't around at some point and had six kids and 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 I see that. You can't give what you don't have. So whatever part of me didn't have the love that I wanted, or the tenderness, or the presence, I have so much of it to give my daughter, and that lets me know of the healing that has been, and also the healing that is. And I just that's where I'm basking in is she is healing us every second of her life and. It's a huge gift. Like we wake up and we、yeah. have a huge smile because she's right there, smiling and beaming at us. 
And um, I'm also super conscious on this journey. I, it made me very conscious of the struggles of women that are struggle with all manners of struggles, um, difficulties maybe on the journey to birthing or not birthing. Um, and really want to honor that as well as a part of motherhood. Um, and I just think it's something that it's just once you're in it, so many people open up to you either loss or infertility or IVF or, or, um, insecurities or judgment or getting older and not having a partner. One, there's so much to it that I really want to honor women that are mothers and women that on whatever part in the journey it finds you just, um, yeah, I am always conscious of my joy around her that it could be someone else's pain, if I could put it that way. I've seen in my own life of friends that, you know, when I did get pregnant, it was painful for them. Um, this is to say it's motherhood is complex. Mothers do their best. And I get to see all the nuances of that mm. now from this angle. Yeah. And I don't remember who said that. I, I heard... Um, someone once said the best gift mother or parent can give to their children are their own healing. And that really resonates so much to me because I think there's so much pain as you talk about so much generational trauma that we carry with us. Um, sometimes it's really scarily uh, subconsciously as the this shadow, this like third person heartbeat is is in like carrying is being carried and we don't re- mm. notice and then we have the blind spot to to notice that till sometimes might be too late <laughs> oh thank you for bringing that to my awareness i i felt it was huge to birth her after the healing of writing this book funny enough the the children one the two children that did not um that were not birthed um I wasn't ready in hindsight. I was still in, I still, they were part of my healing, as I mentioned, with the grief and the anger and all that came up. And I've been sensing this huge gratitude for my lineage, for my ancestors, for the work and going talking about, you know, now we just talk about it as, it's, as if we've always talked about generational trauma, but we're only now really fully understanding and claiming the truth of that. Like there is generational trauma. There are things my mother carried that she carried from her. She came from, they went through a war and there was no therapy and they saw death and she saw death so much and pain and like what her mother before and you know lost and her grandmother that her twins were taken from her at birth and 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 this and that's just on death there's so much more that can shape trauma so I am so grateful that in telling this story I feel like I'm not just telling my mother's story that healing that we talked about feels like a generational one and I've been receiving the message of gratitude for that work and feeling that it resonates and feeling that break for myself and in her. I look at her face and a part of me feels like I was not that as a child. You know, I don't know fully who I was, but it's like I was not this filled with joy. I don't think so. Maybe I'm wrong, but... You know, it just feels like there's a lightness to her. And I sense that that's part of 
Um, and I, I, that's part of the product of that work and gift in her, this, this, this gift of healing that I've given myself and by extension, her even in utero. Mm-hmm. Right. I think we're going to land on this. Um, uh, thank you so much for the conversation oh. today. It's a lot to take on, a lot of to, a lot of food for me to to digest and just devour. It's sometimes I I do these interviews and so in the moment. Sometimes I when I revisit them later, I learn so much more than I'm actually sitting down in the moment. So this is one of those conversations I'm gonna. I'm sure I'm gonna. Keep Thank revisiting. you for finding that connecting, for following up, for reading, for sharing. I this is a huge part of this work and this book and our soul tribe because I'm feeling that connection and honoring that connection and so happy that these words um, on Instagram and here in the book and now here find you and yeah. whoever is listening and deep gratitude and uh, trust that as we all seek core of of this journey is the guides and i'm so grateful if my mother's story and my sharing can be guides to your life the way other people have guided me every step of the way thank Thank you you. thank you chi chi (laughs) my chinese name is chi 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 i love it (laughs) thank you so much